let's rise again from our seats again and we will receive our scripture reading which comes from Luke chapter 24 and I'll be reading from verses 13 through 35 this is his word for us that very day two of them were going to a village named uh, Emmaus about seven miles from Jerusalem and they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened while they were talking and discussing together Jesus himself drew near and went with them but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas answered him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know uh, the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, what things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they have even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going further. They, and, uh, but they urged him strongly saying, stay with us for it is toward evening and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven, and those who were with them gathered together, saying, the Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. This is word for us. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Good morning, KSPC. Turn to the person next to you and proclaim, he is risen. And then keep on repeating after me. And so, I will also rise. Amen? Uh, do you believe that? If you believe that, how different our weeks would look. Seriously, if you believe that. Under the curse of Adam and sin, and under the curse of dying and, the de and, and suffering, this is how our weeks look like on a daily basis. Monday hits us so hard because we're snapping out of our rest. Tuesday literally hits you so hard that the rest of the week is literally WTF. Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Don't know what you're thinking about. And the days go on and on, on and on, toiling without rest. News that scares you, 
international headlines that cause you to think, what's happening? If the resurrection is real, you will be different. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, give me words to speak for your people. They need your resurrection news and not just repeat it in a Sunday school manner where it's the same thing after same thing, but Father, they need to personally hear this whispered by your lips. And when it dawns upon them that the power of the resurrection would free them from their chains and their bindings to live consistently to your word under a consistent worldview with Christ as the head and the church, the beautiful church, as the body until you come. So let the resurrection make all the difference in the world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. For those of you that were not here for Good Friday, let's just briefly, for four minutes, look upon what happened for us before we start today's sermon. Uh, death could not contain him is the main message of Scripture. Uh, death could not contain our Lord. And now we have freedom and power. We're shifting over to Sunday now, from Friday to Sunday. And if you don't see that connection, it's really hard to understand why we must rejoice on the road down from Emmaus. Uh, now, two disciples were walking down to Emmaus. It was a weirdly odd and sober, probably bright, beautiful Sunday morning. Uh, three days ago, traumatically, their Lord and Savior had been killed. All their expectations had been broken. And I wonder if that's the case for you, that once you jumped in to become a Christian, you're noticing things like this, that Jesus doesn't always fulfill your expectations. You started out the Christian life to meet a girl, to get the best job possible, to form connections, to come to church and feel better about yourself, but Jesus doesn't do that. He doesn't take over Rome for Israel. He doesn't cause the kingdom to come. But that's what he does. He dies and confuses everyone. That's why verse 17 says that both of these disciples were really, really sad. Really sad because how could they not be? Everything they knew about the world, the Moses and the prophets and the, and the prophecies about how Jesus' kingdom would become and the Messiah would make thing, all things perfect. But he died, and everything had been flipped over. Yet, Jesus is going to restore these two disciples in the short time that they have together. And he will restore you for those of you who have been disappointed by the Lord. You will be restored. Amen? Let's see how, though. Let's see how people can be restored to the Lord. This might sound a little dry, but let's look at the next slide. Uh, a good argument requires three elements, logos, ethos, and pathos. Ethos is the credibility and the reliability of the person conveying the message in the context, given the circumstances. Second, logos is the reason and evidence and rationality that is required to make your case. And pathos is the emotions and the social imagination of what you are trying to communicate. And these put together can change a person from the inside out through the work of the Holy Spirit planted inside of you. 
I'm not saying that Jesus is trying to persuade you. I'm not saying Jesus is trying to persuade us. It's just that these elements are so well seen within today's text that we have to go over it. Now first, Jesus listens to how the disciples processed the situation. Verse 18 through 24, I'm not going to read all of it, but are you the only visitor in Jerusalem? Like They're asking Jesus if he doesn't know about what happened. They're, uh, uh, so Jesus of Nazareth, he was a prophet, prophet mighty in deed and word and power uh, before God and all the people. And then the chief priests and rulers killed him, condemned him to death and crucified him. We had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. The earthly kingdom of Israel, that's her fault. That's her mistake. But, and besides all this, it is now the third day since he's happened. And then women talked about how he was resurrected, uh, about how they couldn't find his body, and they couldn't see what had happened. Jesus' first response works on the ethos of these people based upon his credibility. They were seeing things wrong because they didn't believe anything. They didn't believe. So Jesus' first response is really interesting. They gave, uh, they gave him a, a lengthy narrative and Jesus' uh, first words, and this is how automatically you know it's Jesus. Oh, foolish ones. <laughs> oh, foolish ones. That's how he starts the conversation. Why? Slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Slow to believe. You won't believe what they have said. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? You see, the authority of Jesus demands what? An ethos, a reply of the ethos, which is trust in his credibility, starting from the prophets all the way onwards. Like God has built a case for his son's resurrection and what that would accomplish in our lives. And the demand that Jesus' authority asks of us is what? To believe. Once again, every week, I proclaim a, a, a message filled with the gospel and the salvific power of the cross. Not by my own doing, but the Holy Spirit works in the text to communicate how Jesus is central to your life and how the cross is necessary. But despite every week proclaiming that, there are some people who do not benefit from the sermon because they don't apply it to their faith. Faith and word have to meet by responding to the credibility of Christ. Hebrews 4.2 says, For good news came to us just as to them. But listen to this. This is really scary. This could be you every Sunday. The good news came to you and me and all of us, but... The message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. Faith wasn't combined with the proclaimed word. And so, KCPC, the first thing that needs to happen, especially when the word about today is the resurrection of Jesus Christ, it is to what? Believe. The credibility of Christ requires a verdict. Now, Believing is not blind faith. And I've said this probably at least five times so that you all get the picture. Uh, to have faith, to believe in Greek is pistis, pistis. And it is a legal term. Basically, when A and B shake hands and say, let's make an agreement, I'll give you this much for that product, what they're saying is that's a pistis between them. And what do they need to get to that level of belief in one another? Not just a handshake. Credit scores, 
background checks, references, all the back work, all the background work that requires a conclusion that they can believe in that person. The ethos of Scripture is this. All of Scripture's promises came true, first and foremost, in Israel, and then secondly, in our lives in the church, and God has never made a lie. So many prophecies about the Messiah, so many prophecies about the line of Judah, so many prophecies about what would happen in the future, and none of them have been debunked, otherwise we wouldn't be gathering here. That demands a verdict, which is what? I believe, I pistis, not because of blind faith, but because I see the trustworthiness of God, whose word is always fulfilled. And that's a problem for some of you. You haven't read this enough to see whether God keeps his promises. Can you trust God? Yeah, that's, that's the point. <laughs> Do you trust God? Based on what? Yeah, the Bible tells me so. The covenant theology of the Old Testament leading promise after promise after promise with God's character and promises revealed in each text leads to the conclusion, I can trust God more than I trust myself. I always fail. I'm a sinner at heart. My thoughts and desires are always convoluted, but when I look at the Lord's track record, I believe. Jesus is asking for those who desire to have resurrection power and joy the number one thing required is what? To believe. ACPC, do you believe? Second, Jesus gets to work on the Logos. The Logos is the rationale, the word. And in Scripture, Logos has a very deep understanding. It is truth itself, reality itself. It's connected to ontology even. And so, what do we call Jesus? Jesus is the incarnated word of God, the word of God in the flesh. And so Jesus is not just making arguments. He's not just making rational conclusions. He's saying, I, the truth, I am the truth and the way and the life. I am walking with you right now to give you a sustainable foundation for all of your propositions, for all of your truth claims. To make sense out of anything at all, I need to be there in the flesh. So verse 27 says, And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. All the word, the truth of the word, points to Jesus as the centerpiece. How many of you uh, read Proverbs for wisdom? Uh, how many of you read Genesis to look for scientific facts and Revelation for crazy stuff? But you're not going there to find Jesus. Jesus himself says, like, Abraham, look forward to my day. Everything written in Scripture is about me. Everything in Scripture is about Jesus. So let, let's just have a show of hands if you're okay with this. How many of you read Scripture often? Uh, okay, you're being modest, right? <laughs> okay, if you read Scripture, why do you read it? Can you tell me, anyone, shout out from the audience? Why do you read scripture? The answer should be to meet the Lord, to meet Jesus. Jesus says, 
beginning with Moses and all the prophets. In other words, Genesis all the way to Deuteronomy. That's the Mosaic books, the Pentateuch. And the prophets are all the major and minor prophets, which are 5 plus 12 books, 17 books there. And then the rest is uh, history. If you put them all together, Jesus says, all the things are concerning him. All this points to Jesus. And, you know, imagine how long it took. Um, I was looking at uh, various websites to see how far Emmaus is from Jerusalem because these two people were walking from Jerusalem to Emmaus. So many academic articles and guesses about how far it is away. Someone said 20 kilometers or 20 miles, I think. Another person said it's probably five miles away. And there were so many debates. And then I was like, okay, which one do I look at? I wasted an hour looking at how far it is away. And then here uh, it says it's seven miles away from Jerusalem in the text itself. I'm like, I wasted an hour looking for information that's already here. (laughs) Uh, So please don't do that. Read your scripture. But here's the thing. Imagine taking a seven-mile walk with the Lord. Seven miles. Uh, I was talking with my senior pastor for about an hour and 30 minutes with my watch, shaking as vigorously as I could to get more mileage in there. And that was about one point something miles. We walked really slow. So multiply that by seven. Jesus spent six to seven hours. I'm sure they weren't teaching in scripture, like walking really fast. Jesus was talking about scripture for all seven miles, including a meal to convey who he was, KCPC, the Holy Spirit must unfold the word of God into your hearts. The logos is necessary. Amen? In a postmodern relativist culture, no wonder why people, so many people are saying, I feel like X, therefore I am an X trapped in Y's body. Therefore, I have this kind of uh, sexuality. Therefore, I am this. And all these subjective claims about identity and, and reality and ontology and ultimate truths that there is none, for example. Where is this coming from? This is bred by a society that has been forced to see that there is no, no truth. All truth must be deconstrued, deconstructed. And therefore, all of the symptoms of not having any core of truth are showing like crazy in our schools. I can't send my children to school because I know that before they become salt and light in the world, the world will already get to them because it's telling them there is no truth. But the Logos says what? All truth is God's truth. God is the center of all reality. And apart from that, the resurrection has no standing. So many people try to prove the resurrection through science. Yeah, science is a good way to validate and check empirical truth, but it is not the core truth that God himself breathes out through Scripture. And if you don't have that truth, I'm worried for your life because every single day, all your answers are always, it depends It depends on what you feel like. It depends on how you want to do, what you want to do today, what you want to eat. And everything is so customized because you are not finding a core truth, but you're relying upon your emotions to define yourself and everything around you. KCPC, do you believe that there is a truth? Yeah. If you said no, I would immediately ask you, how do you know that's true? That's the truth, right? Everything from Moses and the prophets points to Jesus Christ as a truth. Every page. Every page is 
Jesus breathing the truth out onto us. And apart from this, I don't know where you get your food. Number three, finally, Jesus works on the pathos. The pathos is the the empathy, the the emotions, the imagination, uh, everything that aesthetically catches our breath and takes it away. Everything beautiful about the world. Now, everyone knows that sheer logic and credibility is not enough to change your heart. Like, a lot of you, I'm, I'm really thankful for this, uh, especially a lot of the young adults. When I talk with you, you really trust me. And I really utilize all that I can from Scripture to convince you of the truth of what I'm saying. But is your life changed every day? No. Because what's missing in there is the emotional desire and the need and the gut-jerk reaction that I need what's being proclaimed to me by a credible source. I need the substance of that with all my heart. And that's what needs to happen. And we try all sorts of strategies to persuade people into this. For example, uh, back when I was uh, working in my law firm, we were before a judge who was a Jew. Uh, and the opposing counsel who was working on a franchise case, he was def- defending the franchise owner, uh, he was also a Jew. And so before the arguments even start, the logos argument substance even starts, he goes up to the judge and smiles and says, uh, like winks at them because he knows they're both Jews, right? And he says to them, uh, he quotes Psalm 17:15, He who justifies the wicked and he who condemns the righteous, both of them alike are an abomination to the Lord. Basically, he's saying, my client is innocent. You can't condemn him. That is abomination before the Lord. And the judge smiled. Uh, my my, my, my uh, uh, overseeing lawyer, he was actually a, a, a Middle Eastern guy. So uh, he looks at me. He's like, David, you say that you're a Christian every single day. You better find me something <laughs> to say in response to that. <laughs> and it's got to be Old Testament. That guy seems like a Jew, not a Christian. <laughs> so I'm like, Okay, I, I write him down something, and I give it to him. And <laughs> he looks at the judge square in the eyes, and he looks at the opposing counsel square in the eyes, and that's what he says. <clears throat> um, Exodus twenty fifteen, Thou shalt not steal. <laughs> uh, we're trying to build connection, emotional heritage, empathy, being in the same flesh, being in the same ethnicity, being of the same uh, family situations. We try so hard to build this kind of credibility through relationship and love. Jesus doesn't also just tell us to trust in him based on his credibility. He doesn't just give you evidence to believe him. So he doesn't assert himself. He doesn't just convince you based on logic. What does he do? He expresses Inefficient love for you. Greatly wasteful, extravagant love poured out upon you that convinces you, not only is he trustworthy, not only is this true, but I love it. Let's look at the inefficiency of Jesus. Remember the parable of the, the, the seeds? Jesus keeps on scattering no matter what kind of soil you are. If I were Jesus... Resurrected, third day of resurrection. And now I'm thinking to myself, I only have about 50 days until Pentecost to be upon the earth and God will send the Holy Spirit and I'll tag out of this world. 
And so, if I were Jesus, I would be extremely strategic. I have 50 days to change the world. What do I do? First visitation, Pontius Pilate. <laughs> and then, I'm not going to see the disciples. <laughs> they betrayed me. Uh, they're not influential. They're fishermen. They're not going to carry the story well. I will go to Rome. Doesn't take 50 days, but once I reach there, everyone will know about me. And then I need to find a publicist. Get it down in writing. Like, this was written about at least 30 years afterwards by, by good memory inspired by the Holy Spirit. But we want something orally orated and written down. So Jesus could have been very efficient to make a case for his divinity and his resurrection so that we can have a solid hope. But what does he do? He spends seven miles on a road with two people that are not influential. And he tries to go further, but they invite him to his home and they have a meal together. He is so inefficient. Thank you, God. That's the answer. Thank you for being so weird, so different. You don't make sense to me, but you love me so much. So inefficient. When I read today's text, I want to get angry at Jesus because maybe I'm, it's a little personal now because I'm sleeping every day at 3 a.m. these days, <laughs> trying to meet people, uh, trying to uh, counsel people, uh, difficult marriages, broken situations, so tired. And I'm like, why am I doing this every day? Uh, like, do my children know me? I don't think so. Lord, I tell him in my personal time, Jesus, you're always like this. I can't, I can't not do what I'm doing right now because you took the disciples on a three-day trip all the way to Samaria, ignoring so many Jewish people, all the way just to talk with one Samaritan woman and then come back. And that one Samaritan woman at a well, somehow she evangelized people, but that's not efficient. You walk by a crowd only to touch and kneel and heal one person, one woman who has been bleeding for 12 years. Out of all that crowd, only that woman was fixed. Why so inefficient? You risk your life and reputation to defend a prostitute. Why so inefficient? He loves you. Only way to explain this is he loves you. That is the pathos that we're looking for. Why believe? Why trust all this good rhetoric and logic and science and philosophy and theology itself, the word of God? And why just trust the reputation? Because that God loves me so much that he walked seven miles and shared a meal with me. In his busiest moment, in his most effective, effective required moment, he had time with me. He walks because he loves. Like, how preposterous. Like, you don't invite Biden to your home. He doesn't come. Like, you'll get 
security check if you're successful in reaching him. You kneel down in prayer. Lord of the universe, I'm so lonely, I'm so desperate. Nothing's working in my life. Come and help me and heal me. Forgive me, restore me. And that Lord comes to you. Isn't that crazy? He's so inefficient. He spends every waking moment with me. Like, even when I ignore him, he doesn't ignore me. He's always with me, guiding me and counseling me when I don't ask for it. Every day, he walks because he loves. He eats food with me because he loves. From Jesus' standpoint, I can see why. From a theological perspective, yeah. Um, if you know the Juneteenth holiday uh, is when uh, you know, black people celebrate emancipation uh, from slavery, freedom from slavery. Interestingly, the American Civil War, the Union won the war, I think, in 1861. However, uh, freedom for the slaves reached Texas and the southern states in 1865. There was a buffer period of four years where people in the southern states didn't know that they were free. It took former slaves in Texas four years to find out they actually were freed. Yes, they were already freed four years ago, but it took the advancement of the Union troops to uh, emancipate every state they were going into. In other words, freedom came with the pioneers of the message. Every step that Jesus is taking with you is not because he has nothing better to do. He is walking with you to proclaim that you are free. That you have a father who loves you. That you have a savior that saved you from Monday, Tuesday, WTF. To save you from that. And every step he takes, he takes for the kingdom, expanding the kingdom in your lives. Jesus has saved all those who believe in him. But it takes the Holy Spirit advancing into your heart. This huge black territory in my heart. This darkness inside me. This bitterness inside me. The Holy Spirit needs to come here to emancipate me personally. So Jesus' word is truth. And he saved all those who would believe in him. But the Holy Spirit must now go into your hearts to convict you of your sin and to save you. And then tell you that you're free. That's why Jesus walked seven miles in a meal. He loved you so much that he would give the most important news to you personally. And that is the work of the Holy Spirit. So many people ask, what does the Holy Spirit give, make me do? Give me power, give me joy, give me this and that and that? No. First and foremost, his job description is to continue the ministry of Jesus everywhere. Now, people in China have Jesus walking with them seven miles a day because the Holy Spirit is continuing the ministry of the Lord to free the slaves, to mend and bind the brokenhearted, to forgive sinners. That's still happening today. That's why in verse 30, that's why it, it, Scripture says, Blessed are the feet of those who carry the good news. Amen. Uh, sneak peek into next year, and you might not like this. Next year, uh, this scent is our, our, our four-year cycle model. Uh, S is 
spiritual worship. And we're really focusing on worship and prayer this year. But next year, E is engaging the lost. N is nurturing the saints. And T is together. And there's different focuses every year. Next year is the 50th year anniversary of our church. And thankfully, it is engaging the lost is the theme. And I want to ask you this before next year. Are you people who carry the good news like Jesus does? No matter where, the, the violin song I played, no matter where you go, I will carry the cross to the person next to me. That's the message. I hope you know that song. Next year, it's not going to be a requirement. I mean, pastors don't have official power over anything. <laughs> uh, but I will strongly encourage this. Next year, you must evangelize at least two people. How else are you going to know what Jesus did for you? Like, I hope you pray, I, I, I pray that you meet a really difficult person who hates your guts every time you proclaim the gospel because that is what Jesus did for you. Extravagant, inefficient love. It might take a few hundred dollar meals just to get to the point of saying, can I uh, talk to you about this? But when the blood of Jesus is still visible in front of your eyes and you, you experience the love of the Lord for you that was so inefficient, you do it. Because how can you not? That's why I stay up at 3 a.m. and I know it's un unsustainable, but I still do it. Why? Jesus came so far from me. And the motto amongst all leaders in our church is, don't serve if you haven't been served by the Lord. Because there's no motivation to do the impossible. Just, uh, a, let me just see a quick response. Will you evangelize two people next year? Amen? Yes? Okay. Uh, th that was not good enough. <laughs> I see pockets of silence here. <laughs> and it is Easter. There's a lot of newcomers. Um, but let's try it out. And you will taste the joy of the Lord because he did that for you. So, logos, ethos, and pathos all combined together leads to the mighty conclusion in verse 32. After Jesus disappears, like he shared a meal with them, he broke bread and suddenly they, their eyes opened and it all made sense. Ethos and pathos and logos pouring into their hearts and suddenly they say in verse 32, they said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road and while he opened to us the scriptures? And that's when it hit me like a truck. Jesus loved me just like this. He loved me so much just like these two disciples. In my case, uh, let's look at a, uh, the next picture. I think that's where I met the Lord. Uh, middle school, second year, in an almost abandoned elementary school. Uh, mosquitoes everywhere. Uh, sweaty Middle school boys sleeping everywhere at a retreat. I was uh, sitting and getting my feet washed. And a uh, teacher, a uh, female teacher, I don't know, I don't know who she is, can't even remember her name. She just told me, God loves you. Three words. Suddenly, 
caught up in joy. I was weeping and weeping and weeping. At, you know, a middle school boy is not sophisticated. I, have no, I had no knowledge of the depths of the sin that I would uncover in the next 30 years. How old am I? Yeah, anyway, do the math. I didn't know I'd be such a bad person. I didn't know the blood of Jesus was so necessary, and yet I weeped almost for my future and for the past and for my current state. Jesus loved me so much, and suddenly I was saved. During that retreat, Jesus walked hundreds and thousands of miles to get to this kid to love me, to convict me of his love for me, to show me his resurrected body, to give me hope for the future. I was in a really bad place in Korea. I couldn't speak Korean and English back then. And so I was, um, I didn't speak for a year, uh, contemplating suicide. I was such a I wanted to do so well, and that when I was studying Korean, I, I, I hung a knife on my wall, and I, I, I told myself, I wrote a message underneath, if I fall asleep, you better kill yourself. You better study. That's the kind of small boy that Jesus visited and proclaimed freedom to me. Told me that I was beloved by the King of Kings. He said I was free. He said there's reason to be joyful every day. And I wonder how far Jesus has walked to get to where you are right now. I promise you, every single day I see it happening. That's the joy of being a pastor and being able to evangelize people. That's the joy. Jesus walks every day in Chantilly and Centerville and Gainesville, uh, Arlington, D.C. He walks there every day to personally reach one person. Like, we don't see huge mass movements like we did, you know, every century. But what we see right now is Jesus personally touching the hearts of so many people every day with one simple message. That God so loved the world that he sent his only son. That whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Now you understand what made, what made the disciples Tick after all this time. Why get sawn in half? Why get hanged upside down on the cross? Why be, you know, thrown in a pot of oil? Why, why, why? Verses like this, 1 John 4, 8. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. Ephesians 4, 15. But speaking the truth in love, logos and pathos together may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Jesus Christ. 1 John 3, 18. My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and truth. Love is what cemented the reality of the resurrection and the truth of salvation. Love. Dear brothers and sisters, everything that happened in the past happened. You can't change it. That's why we call it good news and not good advice, right? But what can you do in response? 
Be loved by the same Lord who carried the cross for you, who walked seven miles and ate a meal with you, who was so inefficient and extravagant in his love that he's still knocking on your cold hearts right now, even today. And if my tears and if the music and if the songs and if the word and if the, you know, everything I'm doing up here and I still can't do because I'm limited, if none of this has still reached your heart yet, Get ready to see what the Lord will do to get to you. Get ready to see how much God loves you and he will cross oceans for you to get to your heart. And I implore of you, trust in him. Receive his love. Hear his news of salvation and freedom. Trust that you will be resurrected. And every day, you will walk seven miles and have a meal in fellowship with the Lord and it will be a snapshot of heaven. Uh, there will be joy and power every day. Mondays through Fridays don't have to look like what they look like right now. Your families don't have to grieve every night. I know, it's not a fairy tale. A lot of you are in dark places. But Jesus proclaims through great sacrifice and effort that you are free. Amen. We're finishing with the book of Luke now. Next week, we're going to be starting on the Household of God series for one month. But how do we wrap Luke up? Let me offer to summarize it this way. God loves you. And he demonstrated it in history. Luke is the most historically accurate book possible. Why did he write all this? To show you, beyond doubt, utilizing ethos and pathos and logos, the truth itself, to convey to you, God did love you demonstrably. And you must respond. He is risen for us. And the book of Acts continues. Luke wrote book both Luke and Acts, Acts continues knowing that the Lord is resurrected and the Holy Spirit carries on his ministry. Would you walk with the Spirit every day? If Luke was a blessing to your life, if this series all the way from December of last year, all the way until now, if this was a blessing to you, my encouragement is this. Please respond by walking with the Holy Spirit and believing in the gospel. Let's close in prayer and respond in worship. Father, I thank you so much that you didn't go straight to Rome. You didn't go for the most influential people. You didn't look for raw talent, but you came to a middle schooler and you saved so many people here in circumstances just like that, where they couldn't prove their worth to you, or they couldn't promise to do wonderful things for your kingdom, and yet you walked, and you came, and you ate in their households, and you changed their hearts forever. Lord, thank you. The resurrected Lord of the universe is now living in our hearts amongst us through the Holy Spirit, and that gives us great joy and power every single day. So Father, help us respond to the cross.
Help us respond to the resurrection and live consistently as if salvation is true, as if the resurrection was true. And may the Holy Spirit give us the power to live consistently according to what we believe every day of our lives. May there be joy and freedom and power. Bless the people here who may still not know what was proclaimed before them, but let it be like a pebble in their shoe that every day they try to walk another mile, that something disturbs them into thinking about what is this all about? Is this life worth it? Is Jesus truly who he says he is? Are there alternate viable worldviews out there that I could live according to? Or is everything meaningless? And let this disturb them so that they wouldn't be distracted about real estate prices or uh, living a better life or getting a better front yard. Father, let them be preoccupied with the most important questions ever. Do I have meaning? Am I beloved? Do I have a future? Can I celebrate a resurrection? And as all people here contemplate these things, may we remember the words of the disciples. He is risen indeed. He is risen indeed. Thank you, Father, for rising on our behalf. That gives us so much joy today, Father. We pray this, trusting you, thanking you for a wonderful series on Luke and we give it into your hands. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.